Well, welcome to the house of the Lord, everyone. Oh, my goodness. It's going to be a long night tonight. Welcome to the house of the Lord, everybody. If you're happy to be here, can we just do something? <laughs> you know, when you're leading service, that, that's always a tough little segment right there. And when you're a words of affirmation person, that's really hard. Let me just tell you, y'all just about gave me heart failure up here. That's all right. We're glad you're here. Welcome to Grace Church on campus. Those joining us on Facebook Live and live stream, we are so glad that you've chosen to make Grace Church part of your evening, and I know you will be ministered to by the word of the Lord. Why don't we open the service this evening with prayer and just ask God's presence to be with us. I just pray that his sanction would be upon everything that we do and that we would leave changed by his word and by his presence. Amen. Let's do that together. Jesus, we thank you tonight. Lord, we're here again in your house, in your presence, with one another. Lord, and in you we live and move and have our being, Lord. And so it is good to be here tonight. It is good for us to be here. And I just pray that you would anoint every word that is spoken, everything that comes across this pulpit, Lord, to the glory of God, to the edifying of your church. Let us leave changed in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Everybody say, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for your faithfulness and giving to the kingdom of God. We encourage you to continue to give on our app, and also you can give on the way out in Grand Central as well. Thank you again for your faithfulness. And then I want to remind you of just a couple of quick things tonight. We've been announcing about youth camp. Uh, parents, please put that on your radar. If you have not gone online and registered for junior and, se uh, junior and or senior camp, uh, please do so. Register your kids. We want them to go to youth camp this year. We want them to be blessed. After having a year of no camp, I think we're all ready and excited to return to Tioga and see what God will do for our kids. So please make a note of that. You can do that online on the Louisiana District website. And then this coming Friday night, also for our students, there is a Section 2 youth rally at the First Pentecostal Church of Denham Springs at 730. The van will be going for our students, and so if you need more information about that, you can see Brother Jeremy and Sister Brooke after church for some details on that, but uh, we want our kids to go and be blessed. Brother Victor Jackson will be preaching the service Friday night. Finally, Sunday is Mother's Day. We don't want you to forget your mom, but we also want you to remember to come prepared to give in the Mother's Memorial Offering Sunday. All, all proceeds from the offering on Sunday will go to Mother's Memorial, so be prepared for that. Amen. Amen. God bless you so much. I am, uh, I am thrilled tonight to turn the service over to pastor. I thought the service Sunday was just amazing. I've been basking in that all, all week so far, just con uh, continuing to think about the sermon, the message, and uh, how much I know that meant to all of us. And uh, I appreciate so much the service Sunday. So God bless you tonight. Pastor is coming. Why don't we clap our hands one more time to the Lord as he comes to the pulpit. Thank you, Brother Dave. Great to see you folks tonight. Thank you all so very much for, uh, once again, being on campus on Wednesday night. And uh, I'm confident that uh, you folks have come open-minded tonight, open-hearted to the Word of God. Uh, Brother Jason will be teaching tonight. He'll be coming momentarily. Um, if you remember, I believe it was two Wednesday nights ago, he taught an absolute masterpiece on forgiveness. And I hope all of you remember that. He did a phenomenal job. When the service was over, I uh, asked him to come talk to me for a second. He did, of course. Um, 
I said, do you, are you prepared, can you be prepared to teach a Bible study on how people can get to that place where you can prepare? And he said, absolutely. So I asked him as soon as our calendar was available, as, as long as his, as his was as well, to teach that Bible study, and that's what he'll be doing in a few moments. But before he comes, um, Brother Donnie Culpepper is with us tonight, and um, we met last August. Uh, he was oversaw our lighting and sound installation. You'll remember that from uh, last August, and uh, probably about the four, four or five most, that's the closest I got to a heart attack, I guess, that I've ever been in my life. Uh, just getting all that done, sweating it out and, and all that stuff. But when Brother Donnie, when we first talked, uh, it just seemed like an instant friendship, uh, instant chemistry when he, when he showed up uh, on campus as soon as he walked in the door and I heard him say something to one of his workers, I knew immediately who it was. And uh, there's just been a camaraderie chemistry. God's got his hand on Brother Donnie in a special way, uh, pulling his heartstrings hard for ministry and uh, to do more and more for the kingdom. I love and admire people that are willing not only to give their time and talent to the kingdom, but to also give that into that give into that calling and that pursuit of uh, ministry in the kingdom. So I've asked him to come and just share with you something, whatever's on his heart for the next three minutes or so, and uh, get behind him. Let's give him a good welcome as he comes to talk to us for a few moments tonight. Thank you, Pastor Murphy. It's great to be here with you. He's turned into one of my favorite people, Pastor Murphy. I'm sure you guys know that, him being your pastor. Uh, he tends to cut up a little bit from time to time and kind of prod me a little bit. Uh, and he, we have a good time together. We met over a Zoom call for the first time, and there were numerous people on the Zoom call. And I think they all got a little irritated because he and I just kept cutting up the whole time, and they were trying to be a little bit serious but he is a great man. He's been a great blessing and a mentor to me in my life. It's good to be with you guys here in Grace Church. It's been several months since I was here, and uh, I check in on you guys frequently on Facebook. I check in to hear Pastor Murphy preach, and uh, big props to the media team in the back. I uh, love to see what you guys are doing in here. I click on and see all the lights, the stage, the screens, everything is looking great. And uh, you guys have a great church here. Uh, it's exciting to just be back in this place and be around you. One of my favorite places that I've been to in the last several years. And I was thrilled that my schedule kind of brought me through this area again. And uh, Pastor Murphy was generous enough to spend a little time with me and let me be here. Uh, in Hebrews 10, 24, the New Living Translation says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. There's just something about getting into God's house with God's people that just feels good. Have you ever had like a just a rough day, a trying day, you're tired, you're exhausted, somebody at work was 
irritable that day and you had to struggle to keep your spirit right, but they may have been off base, but you kept your spirit right and the boss was in a bad mood and, you know, the kids flipped over the Happy Meal in the car and spilt the fries all over and it just, the day wasn't going great, but when you walked into this room, into this place, just to feel the presence of God, to be around God's people, like-minded people who love the Lord, who trust in God the same way that you do. It's just such a blessing to be here. And if 2020 and 2021 have taught us and shown us anything, it's that surely we can realize God's telling us that the end is drawing near. But the end, the finish line, is simply the entrance to the real end. The end is not the end. The end is just the beginning. And so excited to think about that when the end finally gets here, when doomsday, as they call it, finally arrives, for us believers in Christ who have a relationship with him, that's the beginning of our life eternal in the presence of God. And getting together with people here in this church is exciting. To feel the joy and the camaraderie of Christians being together is so exciting. But we always leave here to enter into the place where God has planted us to serve and reach out to others. And one day when we reach that finish line and we enter into that city, the city of heaven, how exciting and wonderful is it going to be that we're all together from now until eternity into the presence of God. Thank you, Pastor, for letting me be here. It's good to see everyone. Uh, exciting times, exciting things happening here. Thank you for allowing me just to play a small part. God bless. I love you, Grace Church. Y'all already know what's coming. As promised, tonight is a follow-up to our lesson from April 14th, Forgiveness Matters. And that night, three weeks ago, was foundational, making a case essentially for the necessity of forgiveness. And tonight's teaching, I hope, will be more practical, more of the how-to. We know that we need to forgive others. And we know that we should forgive others, but sometimes we just don't know where to start. And so let's see if we can respond to that challenge tonight in a way that's biblical and doable. So before we begin, um, y'all should know by now that I am not smart enough to come up with all of this on my own. Uh, so we want to give credit, certainly, to... Um, the sources that we drew from, uh, uh, first of all, Rick Warren, Jensen Franklin, Pete Briscoe. Uh, there's some Glenn Murphy in here. There's some Dan Davis. And somewhere in the mix, there's a little bit of Jason Cooper. So uh, we want to give credit to all of those sources. Let's take just a moment to pray. And we'll take just a few minutes to review. I'm being very deliberate tonight, Sister Sheila. So we'll pray. And, and we'll take just a few minutes to review, and, and then we'll launch. But y'all pray with me. Lord, this is a, this is a deep one. It's a, it's a heavy one, and it's not an easy one. And the last thing in the world they need are just the words of a man. 
They need your words. And whenever it comes to matters of forgiveness, we desperately need your power, your love, your wisdom and your influence in our lives in order to make it a reality. So I pray that you would help me tonight to not mess it up, to say it the way it needs to be said. And I pray that you would help all of our hearts to be open. Lord, if we can help somebody tonight move past a hurt, if we can help somebody improve their lives, if we can help somebody recover a relationship, it will be worth it. So we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. So our text from last time, go back to Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 22. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered and said, I tell you not, Peter, no, not, not seven times, but 77 times. And if we really think about what Jesus is saying here, it means that if I'm serious about following Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus, then I will be required to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive again. When I'm the one who has been wounded when I'm the one who has been wronged. And that runs counter to my human nature because sometimes I just don't want to forgive certain people for certain things. And I especially don't want to forgive certain people for certain things again. And to make it even more difficult, Jesus doesn't make distinctions in this passage between major and minor Offenses. He has some really lofty expectations whenever it comes to forgiveness. And Jesus just didn't teach that. He just didn't preach it. He lived it. Because from the cross, with nails in his hands and in his feet, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And we know now that secular research seems to prove that psychologically and physiologically, there are benefits to us for forgiveness. And that really gives us um, a personal, self-centered reason to forgive. In other words, forgiveness is good for me, so I do it. But more often than not, that's not where our dilemma is, though. Whenever it comes to forgiveness, the real dilemma we experience in the general view of forgiveness isn't whether we should forgive or not to forgive, because we already know that. Rather, our dilemma is what to forgive and how often. That's where we struggle. So Peter's question to Jesus in Matthew 18 isn't a bad question. Peter just wants to know, if forgiveness is mandatory, Jesus, then I want to know exactly what I must do and exactly when am I off the hook when it comes to forgiveness. See, Peter's used to operating in this realm of the Old Testament law where it's spelled out for you exactly what you must do and how to do it and how many times you must do it. But Jesus is here to fulfill the law, not give us the law plus plus, not give us the law version 2.0. Forgiveness in the gospel is way more radical than anything that could be spelled out in the law. So Jesus uses the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18 to illustrate to Peter and to us that forgiveness isn't a mathematical issue. It's a heart issue. It's not about the 
quantity of your forgiveness. It's not even about the quality of your forgiveness. It's not even about you being obedient to the mandate of the gospel and meeting regulations. It's about the posture of your heart toward other people. Remember, a major point from the parable wasn't the king's outrageous forgiveness. And it was outrageous. But that wasn't the point. Rather, it, the point was the deep insensitivity to mercy on the part of that first servant. Because remember, he was forgiven a debt many, many, many times more than what he was owed. And we would expect someone that had been forgiven so much to easily forgive someone else of so little. And what made that servant evil, remember the language, remember the language. Jesus said that he was a servant of Satan. What made him evil in the king's eyes wasn't that he needed forgiveness from an unpayable debt in the first place. Let's get this straight. Jesus knows we need forgiveness. And our sin debt is unpayable in and of ourselves. There's no mistaking that. So what, what made him evil wasn't that he needed forgiveness from an unpayable debt. What made him evil was not forgiving little when he had been forgiven much. He took great forgiveness when it was offered to him, but he didn't extend a little forgiveness when someone else needed it. And here's the point of that story. Jesus fully expects his forgiveness toward us to produce in us forgiveness toward others. And like that first servant, our own willingness to forgive is the surest indicator of our knowledge and experience of forgiveness and how much we value his forgiveness in our lives. When I refuse to forgive, when I choose to not forgive, I'm saying that the cross is not adequate for the wrong that was done to me. Christ's death is not sufficient for the offense done to me. It's not enough. Oh, his sacrifice is enough to cover my sin against him, but it's not enough to cover their sin against me. However, when we choose to forgive others, we are saying that we trust God, not only with our own wrongs toward God, but also with the wrongs of others done toward us. That's trust in the gospel. That's faith in God. That's faith in his plan for us. That's real life Christianity. So, with that brief and somewhat heavy review in mind, let's go ahead and uh, push the big red button and see where we can go tonight by talking first about what forgiveness really is. So if you've been tuned out because it was review, bring it back. New stuff right now. What forgiveness really is. You know, forgiveness might just be the most misused, misapplied, and misunderstood quality in our culture. We think we know what forgiveness is all about, but most of us really don't. Humor me uh, by mentally, mentally 
responding uh, true or false to the following statements. Don't say it out loud. Don't raise your hand. Just do it all up here. Five statements. You respond true or false just up here. True or false. A person should not be forgiven until he or she asks for it. True or false. Forgiving includes minimizing the offense and the pain caused. True or false, forgiveness includes restoring trust and reuniting a relationship. True or false, you haven't really forgiven until you've forgotten the offense. True or false, when you see somebody hurt, it's your duty to forgive the offender. When you dig into Scripture and see what God really has to say about forgiveness, you'll discover that all five of those statements are in fact false. Well, if those aren't right, then what is? What, what is biblical forgiveness? Well, first, biblical forgiveness is unconditional. There's no attachment to it. There's no right or clause. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You don't bargain for it. And forgiveness is not based on a promise to never do it again. You offer forgiveness to somebody whether they ask for it or not. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, referred to it earlier, Jesus has his hands stretched out on a cross, a raw and bleeding back. And he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Nobody asked for that. Nobody said Please forgive me, Jesus, for what we're doing to you right now. He just offered it. Jesus took the initiative and offered forgiveness, whether it was asked for or not. We're talking about what biblical forgiveness really is. Biblical forgiveness is unconditional. Second, biblical forgiveness isn't minimizing the seriousness of the offense. When somebody asks for your forgiveness and you say, look, it's no big deal. It's okay. It didn't really hurt. Don't think anything else about it. That actually cheapens the forgiveness. If it wasn't a big deal, they don't need forgiveness and you don't need to offer it. Forgiveness is only for the, it's only for the big stuff. You don't use it for slights that are just minor issues. But if something really requires forgiveness, then you should not minimize it. I know it's, it's kind of a thing in our southern culture to just be polite and let people slide and God bless your heart. But come on, let's get real. Sometimes things really hurt. And we don't want to minimize the act of forgiveness by cheapening it and, t- cheapening it and saying that it didn't really matter. So if it really requires forgiveness, don't minimize it when somebody asks you for it. You shouldn't say it wasn't a big deal. If it requires forgiveness, then it was a big deal. There's a story, and this is about the only humorous thing that's going to happen here tonight, so get the most out of it. But there's a story just this week uh, in the BBC, maybe some of you saw it, about a farmer in Belgium who uh, some old stone marker was constantly in the way of his tractor. And so he finally just had enough and and moved the thing. Little did he realize 
what he had actually moved was an international border. Uh, the annoyed farmer had actually made the country of Belgium bigger and the sovereign nation of France smaller. And all he has to do, and it, it's funny, and, and people on both sides of the border were chuckling about it, but all he has to do is put it back to make it right. That's all he got to do is, is, just, is just put it back. There's no need for an international incident. There's not going to be any fines, no tribunals, no wars, no shots fired. It really wasn't that big of a deal. One official even said, if he puts it back and shows good faith, all is well. It wasn't a big deal. So if it wasn't a big deal and they ask for forgiveness, tell them, you don't need to ask for forgiveness. But if it is a big deal, you need to admit it, you need to forgive it, and then you need to work through it. You know, there are a lot of big deals in life. Have y'all noticed that? Mm-hmm. There are some really big deals that require forgiveness. But there's a difference in being wounded and being wronged. Being wounded, that requires some patience. It requires some acceptance. Not necessarily forgiveness. Because the person did it unintentionally. Much like our farmer friend in Belgium. But being wronged on purpose, well, it's kind of a big deal, and it requires forgiveness. Third, what biblical forgiveness really is, biblical forgiveness requires that you remember. Please listen. Biblical forgiveness requires that you remember that God will give you the grace to forgive as you walk in faith with him. No doubt there are people here tonight, and I know a few stories. I know a few stories. But there are people here tonight that I don't know about who have been through hellish, horrible things in their lives. Abuse, neglect, abandonment, betrayal, racism, manipulation, control, gaslighting, deception, being lied on. The list of human cruelties is absolutely endless. And when you think about what that person did to you and what it cost you in mental and emotional equity and how much it damaged you, you think, there is no way I can forgive that person. And I'm inclined to agree with you. Some of the wrongs done by people to other people are impossible to forgive. On your own. If all you had to rely on is your own strength, your own grace, your own mental fortitude, I agree, it would be impossible. But I don't believe Jesus asks us to do the impossible on our own. In fact, quite the opposite. He actually wants us to invite him into the middle of our impossible. That's why his word says things to us like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's why his word says things to us like, with man, yeah, it's impossible. But with God, 
all things are possible. That's why his word says things to us like, Paul, I know you've got a thorn in the flesh, and I know you've tried to get rid of it, and I know you've asked me three times to take it away, but guess what, Paul, my grace is sufficient. But sometimes, oh, it's about to get sticky. Sometimes we don't invite him into the process. Because we either don't want to forgive that person. Oh, come on. Come on. Either we don't want to forgive that person or because we don't want to do the hard work of dealing with the issue. Because it's mentally and emotionally draining to go back to that place and deal with it again. But in either case, it's not that we can't. It's that we choose not to. And we covered that three weeks ago. Jesus doesn't pull any punches. Forgiveness isn't an option. So, knowing what biblical forgiveness is, and knowing that God's expectation is that I do it, how do I go about it? Where do I start? Well, first, we need to understand that there is no magic pill, there is no silver bullet when it comes to matters of forgiveness. Every situation is different. Repeat after me. Every situation is different. I think y'all got it. There, there is no blanket policy that applies perfectly to every intricacy of complex human relationships. There's just not one. I, I would be a fool for teaching you something like that, and you'd kind of not be too smart for believing it if I did teach it. Human relationships are complex things, and there is no one-size-fits-all solution to every janky human interaction on this planet. Navigating forgiveness requires wisdom in the form of wise or professional counsel. Navigating forgiveness requires a scriptural approach. It requires discernment. It requires prayer. And at some point, how about some Holy Ghost? I'm hoping that these things that I've just mentioned are a given in any case, I'm hoping that you would turn to those things anyway. I'm hoping that you would allow those things like prayer and wisdom and discernment and godly counsel and scripture to work in your life anyway. But there are no one-size-fits-all solutions. However, while there are no one-size-fits-all solutions when it comes to forgiveness... I believe there are some basic ground rules that apply to almost every situation in which forgiveness is needed. So my suggestion to you tonight is this. If this is kind of reading your mail and you know there are some things that you need to deal with and there's some forgiveness that needs to happen, my suggestion is this. Start here with the four steps that I'm about to give you. But understand this, forgiveness is rarely a one-and-done 
endeavor where, you know, I, I made my stop at the forgiveness store on the way home from work and I bought all I needed one trip and I apply it once and then that's it. I can just forget about it. More often than not, at least in my personal experience, forgiveness is more of a process that I work through than it is a product that I purchase and apply once and then never have to worry about it again. I wish it was that way, really do. But it's just not been my experience. So let me give you four steps toward forgiveness. I see some people taking notes and it makes me giddy. It's the best thing. Jesus likes it when you take notes. Yes, he does. Four steps toward forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 through 32 says this, NIV, says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, bawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I don't know about you, but that scripture's pretty plain to me. I don't see a lot of wiggle room in that language Paul uses in Ephesians, he says, get rid of all bitterness. He didn't say, get rid of most of the bitterness. He didn't say, get rid of all of it except toward that one person. He's pretty explicit. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger. And then he said, be kind and compassionate, forgiving each other. There aren't any exceptions that I can see in what Paul's written here in Ephesians. So if God expects me to forgive others and there aren't any exceptions, how do I move toward it, especially if I'm struggling with just getting started? Well, here are four things you can do to start when you need to forgive someone. And these are, these are four steps, listen to me, four steps toward forgiveness. In other words, I'm making a move in that direction. I may not have gotten there yet, but I'm trying. It's a, it's a course that I've set. I have a trajectory in mind. There's a, a crease to my tendency. I'm choosing a direction. These are four good steps in the direction of forgiveness. And here's the first one. Recognize no one is perfect. Didn't hear a single bit of applause. No intake of breath at the profundity of that statement. I don't think that caught anybody by surprise. Recognize no one is perfect. When you hate somebody, I mean like down deep in your bones, hate somebody. You tend to lose your perspective on that person as a person. Resentment. Bitterness, hurt, those things make you stop seeing that person as a human being. You see them as an object. You see them as an embodiment of all things negative. They are the embodiment of betrayal. They are the embodiment of pain. They are the embodiment of evil. You start to see them not like a person. You start to see them like an animal. But the truth is... Everyone is in the exact same boat. Ecclesiastes 7 and 20 says this, Indeed, there is no one on earth, present company included, 
who is righteous. No one who does what is right and never sins. We're all imperfect. And that person that hurt you so deeply suffers from the same fatal flaw that we all do. It's called humanity. And when you will take the unrealistic expectation off of other people to be perfect, you're taking a very important step toward forgiveness. So number one, recognize no one is perfect. Number two, relinquish your right to get even. Y'all, this, this step is really, this is really the heart of forgiveness. Romans 12 verse 19 says this, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, we like to focus on that last part. Oh, yeah, God's going to get you. But you got to remember the first part of the verse. Don't take revenge, my dear friends. I love the way the Living Bible says it. The Living Bible says it this way. Never avenge yourselves. Can it get any more plain? goes on to say, leave that to God, for he has said that he will repay those who deserve it. Listen to me. Even if you think you deserve to retaliate, don't. If the hurt runs deep, and some hurts run very deep and have for a long time, you may have to commit to not getting even over and over and over again. And then the next day, commit to it again, over and over and over again. But no matter what, please listen to me. Leave the repayment to God. Even when the opportunity presents itself. This is so important. You have to pre-decide. You have to choose beforehand. You've got to make up your mind in advance. If it ever comes around, and y'all know life is funny and it probably will, but you've got to make up your mind in advance. If it ever comes around, I'm not going to get even. I'm not going to pay them back. I'm not going to return this hurt. You've got to decide in advance. Y'all don't raise your hand to this one. But did you ever try to get revenge and pay somebody back the way they deserved it instead of leaving repayment to God? Did you ever try to do that? If you did, how'd that go for you? Did it fix it? I'll channel my inner Dr. Phil. How's that working for you? Did it make it better? How about this? Did it make you feel better about that person to repay the hurt? Did it make you feel better about yourself to repay that hurt? Did it ruin your chance at reconciliation with him or her to repay that hurt? Did it spoil your personal witness 
to the power and grace of Jesus Christ to others to repay that hurt? What Bible verse did you use to justify taking revenge on that person and make it okay? Folks, you cannot justify repaying evil with evil within the confines of the gospel. It's just not in there. Which brings us to step number three. Respond to evil with good. Humanly speaking, at least in Jason Cooper's world, it's nearly impossible to respond to evil with good. You're going to need God's help on this one. You're going to need the love of Jesus to fill you up if you're going to respond to some people in a way that pleases God and fulfills Scripture. You're going to need the power of the Holy Ghost. You know why? Because in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, Love keeps no record of wrongs. Throws the scorecard out. It burns the tally book. It wipes the memory. Love keeps no record of wrong. Not even a little one. When you can respond to evil with good, you'll know you fully release someone from the wrong that they've done to you. Number four. Refocus on God's plan for your life. As long as you continue to hold on to and focus on the person who hurt you, as long as you continue to hold on to and dwell on and think about the hurt that was done to you, that person actually controls you. In fact, it often goes a step further. If you don't release your offender you will begin to resemble your offender. That just made somebody's stomach roll over right there. Because you know, y'all have heard it said, right? Hurt people do what? They hurt people. And if you don't do something about your hurt and shift your focus from your hurt to God's purpose for your life, rest assured, you will hurt others. And it's probably going to be the people closest to you and the ones that you care about the most. So stop focusing on the hurt and the person who hurt you and instead refocus on God's purpose for your life. Because His purpose is greater than any problem or any pain that you might be facing. That's why one of the most practical and one of the most powerful steps you can take when you've been wronged by someone else is to worship. Worshiping God. Praising God. Giving glory to God is the Basic function of life. The scripture says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Focusing on worship in a time of hurt and betrayal. Listen to me. That doesn't work and it isn't effective because it somehow gets you like supernatural Jesus credit for being super spiritual. That's not why it's effective. 
Jesus doesn't look at you and say, man, that person really hurt him. Look at how he's worshiping me on this Sunday. That Jesus doesn't look at you and say, wow, look at how badly she was damaged by that relationship and the wrong that she was done. Yet she's praising me and serving me. She must be so super spiritual. Let's add some credit to her account. It's not, that's not why it's effective. Worshiping God in times of hurt and betrayal and being wronged is effective because it aligns your heart and your life with the foundation of God's purpose for creating you in the first place, which is glorifying Him with the uniqueness of who He made you to be. When it comes to matters of forgiveness, where do I start? Where do I start? We start with four steps toward forgiveness. And you don't even have to do them in order. You don't have to go one, two, three. No, start with four if you need to. Start with three. Just pick one, man, and start. Recognize that no one's perfect. Relinquish your right to get even. Respond to evil with good and refocus on God's plan for your life. Well, okay, now what? Where do I go from there? If that moves me in the right direction, great, but what's the end game, Jason? Koopa, I've taken these, these steps toward forgiveness, but if I'm really honest with you and with God, things just still feel yucky in places, and I'm not sure what to do with it. What do I do? Well, y'all are going to be excited to hear that now comes the hard part. Because Jesus cares about relationships. Jesus cares about relationships. Relationships always take a priority with God. He looked for Adam and Eve in the garden after they disobeyed because he wanted a relationship. He sought out Abraham to father a people because he wanted a relationship. He gave Moses a plan of approach to a holy God through the tabernacle because he wanted a relationship. He robed himself in flesh and went to the cross and then to the grave because he wanted a relationship. One of the last lines in Scripture, Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. It's an open invitation to a relationship. If you're thirsty, come on. Anyone who wants to, come on. Because he wants a relationship. Jesus cares about relationships. And not just his relationship with you, which he cares very deeply about that. But he also cares deeply about your relationship with others. In Matthew chapter 22, and we're almost there. Hang with me. In Matthew 22, they were trying to trip Jesus up. And so one of the young lawyers schooled in the law said, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and all of the prophets 
hang on these two commandments. Jesus cares about the health, the quality, I'm going to make up a word, the lovingness in your relationships with other people. And since Jesus cares about it, since it matters to Jesus, then you should care about it, and it should matter to you. So when you've taken steps toward forgiveness and it still feels yucky, then this is what we have to do. This is the hard part. You have to focus on reconciliation, not resolution. There's such a big difference in those two words. Reconciliation means reestablishing the relationship. Resolution means I've resolved every issue. Reconciliation means valuing what Jesus values, the love between people. Resolution means we see eye to eye on everything. And y'all, let's be honest, resolution probably ain't going to happen. Because we're never going to agree on some things. We can't agree on whether the stupid dress on Facebook and Instagram is white and gold or blue and black. We, we can't agree on what's the optimum temperature in a church building. We can't, agree, we can't agree on the fact that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player to ever take the court. We can't agree on that. Nobody on this planet agrees with you about everything. So you're never going to have resolution to all of your issues. But can you have a loving relationship without agreeing on everything? Of course you can. If you learn to disagree without being disagreeable, that's called wisdom. If you learn to walk hand in hand without seeing eye to eye on everything, that's called wisdom. If you learn to value the soul of a person who has done you wrong, that's called wisdom. If you can learn, listen to what I'm about to say, if you can learn to value the potential of a relationship, not what it looks like right now, not what it was 20 years ago, if you can learn to value the potential of a relationship, even with someone that has done you deep, hard damage, that's called wisdom. I felt the recoil on that one. Like, I felt it. It was like, oh. Don't shut me out. Don't shut me out. Don't, don't, don't think that, I, that I've not had my abandonment issues or my disillusionment issues. Don't shut down on me because you don't think I know what I'm talking about. One of the greatest things you can do with your life is to be a bridge builder, not a wall builder. You are most like Jesus whenever you are reconciling people. That's exactly what Jesus came to do. He is the great reconciler. He is the great mediator between God and man. He came to earth to reconcile us because our sinful nature put us in conflict with God. Don't you want to be like Jesus? Man, that's a loaded question tonight, isn't it? Don't you want to, don't you want to value what Jesus values? I hope so, because you're not going to get to heaven any other way. And Jesus values relationships. And since relationships matter to Jesus, forgiveness matters to Jesus. 
Oh, I, I have once again way more than we can get to tonight. Maybe, maybe another Wednesday night soon. Uh, we can talk about uh, the requirements of restored relationships and steps toward resolving conflict and that old axiom about forgiving and forgetting, not biblical. Uh, maybe we can talk about if, if, how to know if you've truly forgiven someone. But I just want to leave you with, with a story tonight. And it's a story that epitomizes people taking the four steps of forgiveness and living them out. Y'all stand and get some blood circulating. We'll be done shortly. I've gone too long. I'm not going to apologize. It needed to be said. In 1956, five American missionaries headed into the rainforest of the eastern Amazon in Ecuador to make a second visit to the Waorani tribe which anthropologists at the time said was the most violent society on the planet. They had a culture of killing, and, and studies showed that 60% of that tribe died by homicide. And as soon as the missionaries get out of the plane, they were speared to death by members of that tribe. And the story of, the, of that murder, it, it made its way around the world, and it made it onto the cover of Life Magazine, Time, Newsweek, and many newspapers reported the deaths of these men, including two men named Nate Saint and another one named Jim Elliott. About two years later, Elizabeth and Valerie Elliott, who were the wife and daughter of Jim Elliott, and Rachel Saint, the sister of Nate Saint, moved into that Huarani village to show love and forgiveness and minister to the people that had killed their family. Eventually, Mikanye the leader of the tribe, and the five men who participated in the murders of those missionaries all became Christians. I want you to think about that for just a minute. The kind of forgiveness that Elizabeth and Valerie Elliott and Rachel Saint modeled does not make sense until you have come to grips with the way God has forgiven you. And once you've experienced and eternal, internalized God's forgiveness, then you can forgive others that have deeply hurt you. You'll do the things that those women did. You'll relinquish your right to get even. You'll respond to evil with good. You'll repeat those steps as long as necessary. And this one is different, but it really is the point. You will rescue others with the good news of God's forgiveness. I have more, but it's late. Let's pray. Lord, I hope it got through tonight. I really do. I know you've been talking to me, and I have to believe that you've been speaking to others as well. Use it tonight, Jesus, for your glory, to make someone's life better, to take the poison out of someone's heart, to replace it with beauty, because you give beauty for ashes. Lord, you, you take the things that are even ugly sometimes and, and turn them into something that's beautiful and good. You, you, make, you make everything right and good in its time, and I'm praying that you will use this tonight to do that in someone's life. You've got to help us, though, because those, some of those hurts just run too deep. So let your spirit come in, guide our thoughts, pull on our heartstrings, and move us, Lord, in matters of forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, Grace Church.
Y'all have a good evening.